0: Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope that you enjoy this encouraging message. For more information on our church family, visit freechapel.org forward slash OC. I've been praying on for a long time and really it's been in my heart of how to have hope. Gone through this year and just feel a lot of people have lost hope. And what is hope? What does that mean to you and me? What does the Bible say about hope? I wanna to talk to you very quickly, as quickly as I possibly can. That's my guarantee. I'll go as fast as I can. I'm not gonna put a time limit on it, on hope. How to have hope. First Peter 1, verse three says this, blessed be to God, the father of the Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Not a dead hope, but a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for you. Last week, we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus, right? So it's saying because of that resurrection, we have a hope that is alive. See, if God would have stayed buried, guess what? We wouldn't have this hope because it would be dead in the tomb, but it wasn't dead in the tomb. It is now alive. But what is hope? Hope is... I think one of the greatest things that God gives us, a gift for us as believers, but oftentimes we misunderstand what hope is. See, sometimes we make hope about a skeptical maybe. I hope this happens, right? When I was in high school and I would forget to study for a test, the next morning I'd wake up, the test is today. You know, I would pray, God, I hope I can get a good grade, right? So it was skeptical, I wasn't sure of it. Or how about you're a sports fan? Any sports fans in here? Your team is terrible. I hope they win, right, Charger fans? (laughs) (laughs) I hope they win. It's not a thing of assurance, right? It's I'm unsure, and I don't think they will. I'm skeptical, but maybe, hopefully, some way, somehow, God shows up and it happens. That's what we think hope is, is a skeptical maybe that maybe some way that God can pull this through. But hope is not a maybe as believers. Hope isn't a guarantee as believers. Like I was, before I proposed for my wife, I knew what she would say, yet I was still nervous before I asked the question. That's what hope is with a believer. I was carrying around Pepto-Bismol all day. She's like, what is wrong with you? I'm like, "I know, you know, stomach issues. Like, you know, who am I dating? I knew what her answer would be. It was, a, it was a guarantee. Yet I was still nervous because the period, of, I hadn't asked the question yet. It hadn't happened yet, but it was a guarantee. See, that is us as believers. We live in this time frame that theologians call the already and the not yet. The already and the not yet. The already is what Jesus has already done, okay? So in the Old Testament, they haven't even seen the already yet. They're looking towards what Jesus is going to do. We have seen what Jesus has done. He lived, he he, he died, and he rose again on the third day so you and I can have life. That's the already. He sent the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost so we could be filled with a companion and we could be led by his spirit every single day. That's the already. We already live in the victory that Jesus purchased on the cross. The not yet is that one day he will return, come on, and he will establish his heavenly kingdom here on earth and there'll be a new heavens and a new earth. And so we are now in the period of time where we've seen already what Jesus has done and we're waiting for what he's yet to do. But our hope is found in the fact that if he's already done what he said he would do, then how much more should we have a guarantee that he's gonna continue to do what he says he's gonna do? So this is the tension we live in and this is why we need Hope, because when we get to the heavenly kingdom, we won't need hope, why? Because we will see Jesus. What we have hoped for will come to pass. We will see him face to face. So as we sit here now, we have this confident expectation of the good because it's not a skeptical maybe, but it is a guarantee that God will do what he said he was gonna do. But the problem is we have two misconceptions of hope in this world, okay? We have one side without God, we have in the world, we have a hope that it's, we have hope in humanity. That as we progress in time and as we develop our technology and as we learn to work together, we will solve all the problems in the world and hope is in the development of humanity. How is that working out? Not good, thank you in the back, we got it, right? He nailed it, not good. See, they believed this in the industrial revolution that as things were growing at a rapid rate and things were being innovated and and, and invented and changed and and, and they they thought, man, our hope is in this. But then the world wars happened and death and and hurt and pain. So every time that we think that we're making progress, something painful happens again and we, we realize our hope cannot be in humanity. So this is a misunderstanding. In fact, it says in Ephesians chapter two that without God, there is no hope. So we cannot create a world that we solve all the problems without God. Why? Because there's no hope in us. Without God, there is no hope. There's none. See, but Christians, we have actually misunderstood hope, and and we are supposed to be those who portray hope to the world. Those without God who have no hope should be looking to the church and we are those who are filled with hope, living with hope with this confident expectation of what God is gonna do, but instead we run around so stressed out. We're like, I don't know what to do, I don't know what to do, I don't know what to do. We have no hope, the world's crashing and burning. So while the world crashes and burns, guess what? We have hope. Our hope is not in this world, our hope is in Jesus. So we have got to understand this tension and understanding that hope is necessary for the world to see what Jesus is doing in the church. The church's hope should be different than the world's. We should have a different attitude towards life, towards pain, towards persecution, towards enduring these things that life throws at us. Why? Because we have hope. We need to live like it. So my question to you today is how do we have hope? How do we have hope? How do we find this this thing within us. See, sometimes I think we say, oh, I have hope, but, but we actually don't. Well, how do we have hope? And quickly, number one is hope is found in heaven. Hope is found in heaven. It says in 1 Peter chapter 4, we just read, verse 4, we just read it, it says, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven. For you, Because Jesus is alive, he has created a pathway to an eternal inheritance in heaven. The greatest of these is eternal life itself, but we have to begin to understand that our hope is in a place that is unfading, that is unperishable, that cannot be corrupted, that cannot be taken away by our sin because sin no longer exists in heaven. Heaven is what stores up our hope and our inheritance and our promises that the fulfillment of what God is gonna do will ultimately be found in the kingdom of heaven, okay? But the problem is we misunderstand heaven. We want to take earth and define heaven by things on earth. So when we say, we're gonna worship for eternity, some of you are like, I thought we just did. (laughs) Like, I grew up in church. My dad's like, you know, we're gonna worship in heaven. We're like a two hour prayer meeting. He's like, my God, I can't even last two hours. How am I gonna last forever? So we define what worship is in heaven by what we see worship is here on earth. But understand this, whatever we see on earth is just a projection of what real life really is in heaven. So life is actually projected from heaven to earth, not earth to heaven. So when we we look at this, we say, okay, what is heaven gonna be like? We'll never be able to fully understand or comprehend what it is until we get there, but we must understand that when we look at the good things on earth, that's only gonna be better in heaven. When we look at the bad things on earth, guess what? God will remove that and we will see the goodness of God in heaven. But what will we do? are we just gonna sing all day and just, oh my gosh. No, it's the fourfold purpose of man back in Genesis. See, God's plan didn't start with, with Jesus. It actually started in Genesis. So look at what God gave Adam and Eve to do in the garden and that's what we will do in the kingdom of heaven. We will have roles we will have responsibilities, we will have reward, we will have relationships, we will know people, we will connect with people, and everything is worship. See, the problem with us sometimes is we like to separate secular versus sacred, but in God's world, everything is sacred. Everything is sacred, everything is worship, every conversation we have, every interaction we have. So when we are in heaven, guess what? We have to understand it, not from an earthly perspective to heaven, but allow God to define heaven through heaven. See, sometimes it says the streets of gold, right? We all love that one. I'm gonna be rocking up on my gold Bentley in the streets of gold. <laughs> so we, we define, we're, we take that and we define heaven off an earthly thing, gold. It's possession, it's money, right? That's symbolic of something so much greater than possessions and things that will fade away. It's symbolic of glory, majesty, purity, greatness. Beyond, beyond comprehension, beyond understanding. We, we won't be able to understand or fully comprehend for the rest of eternity, how great and good and, and amazing God is. See, we have to understand heaven because our hope is found there. Ultimately, we will die at one point in this life. It's gonna happen. Ultimately, we will. And there's gonna be some things we may not see God fulfill in this life, but everything that he has promised will be fulfilled in the next everything will be fulfilled in heaven. But look at this, how do we even view our pain when it comes to heaven? It says this in 2 Corinthians seventeen, 4, 17 says, for this light momentary affliction is prepping us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. He's speaking of two different realms here. We live in the natural realm. God operates in the supernatural realm. Okay, I know, but this is like 2021. We don't like to talk about the supernatural realm. I'm like, oh, this guy's weird, okay. Understand this, God has a realm and we live in the natural realm. When he comes down from he- and creates a new heavens and a new earth, they will collide. And the, now the natural realm will become the supernatural realm. And so when it says this, this light momentary affliction, he says, it's light, light work. Whatever I'm going through here on earth will fade away at the weight of glory. Which means this, when you see Jesus, the worst things you walked in on earth will fade away like they were nothing because you'll realize how good God was. And even in the midst of those pain, even the worst things that can happen, you will look at those things and see that God was there because it's the things that don't matter anymore. You'll realize, I bet you money when we get to heaven and we we'll say the things that were affliction to me that I spent so much time thinking about, talking about, get angry about, cussing about, come on, all those things, we're going to get to heaven and God says, I bet you wish you wouldn't worried as much because it would fade away and the goodness and the greatness and the glory and the majesty of God will melt away the things that we used to think were our problems, the things we used to think that mattered, how much money I have, what house I have, when did I get married, how many kids do I have, all of these things that we make up as problems, God says, in face of my glory, they will seem like nothing, And he's saying this, he says, don't put your hope in something that is transient, that is here one day, gone the next. Put your hope in something that lasts for forever. It's forever. That doesn't mean we don't hope for things here on earth, but our hope is not in those things. So we have to understand that our hope is found in heaven. The second thing is this, our hope is formed here on earth. Our hope is formed here on earth, Romans chapter five, verse three says, it's not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that our suffering produces endurance, our endurance produces character, our character produces hope, and hope does not put you to shame because God has been, God's love has been poured out into the hearts of those um, through the Holy Spirit and has been given to us. Hope in the New Testament is often connected to perseverance and endurance. Persecution. Persecution is not you have to wear a mask, okay? I'll be honest. It's not. Some of you are like, yes, it is. No, it's not. The early church in, in Romans, in Rome, like in, Nero was pulling them out of their house, beheading them for being a Christian. That's persecution. Dying for their faith. That's persecution. But it's saying, in the face of that, you can endure. And as you endure, guess what's, what's transformed in you? Character. And character produces hope. What is he saying? If God could transform your character, Come on, he could do anything, amen? <laughs> That's what he's saying. If God could transform my thinking, how I see the world, how I see God, how I see you, and I'm not as selfish as I used to be, guess what? There must be hope in this world. If God could transform me, he could do anything. That's what he's saying. See, the problem is this, though, so we wanna hope that God changes a situation. But what Paul is saying, your hope is not that your situation changes. Your hope is in that you change because your circumstances and situations may not change. We may pray and pray and pray, and maybe we never see that prayer answered here on earth. But the question is not, did your circumstance or situation change? My question to you today is, have you changed? Have you been transformed? Has God, through the Spirit of God, transformed your thinking, your speaking, your outlook on life? Have we been transformed by the very Spirit of the living God? See, transformation is not just a religious act. Transformation is partnership with the very Spirit of God that He molds us and shapes us into who He has called us to be. And as we are transformed, guess what? We have hope. (laughs) So your hope, it's not that, you, that's, that, that whatever you're going through changes. Now, we do hope and pray that that happens, but your hope is more so, God, can you change me in the middle of an affliction, in the middle of a difficulty, in the middle of time that you don't understand? How is God transforming you? What is he doing in you? This is the relationship that we have with Jesus. So when he transforms us, guess what happens? Hope is produced in us. Romans four eighteen says this, in hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. What does that mean? Abraham is looking at this and saying, hope against hope. He's looking at what the world says he should, hey, you're old, you can't. your wife's old, you can't have kids. It was limitations. And he says, I'm gonna put my hope in against what everyone else is saying. He's saying, I'm putting my hope in God. If he said it, it's gonna happen. I'm hoping against hope. I'm hoping, I'm not gonna be a skeptical maybe. I'm, I'm, I'm leaning on what's a guarantee. God says it's gonna happen, so it's gonna happen. And guess what? He had a kid. So sometimes we're like, yeah, he had a kid, fulfillment of the promise. He didn't see the fulfillment of the promise. What was the promise? Not that he would have one son, but that he would be a father of nations. You and I are a part of that promise. We were grafted into that. So actually it says in Hebrews that, that many of them in the hall of faith never saw what God promised that, that they would see in their lifetime, yet they still had hope. Why? Because they saw it in the next. So he hoped against hope. He said, my God said it, he's gonna do it. So if God said it, he's gonna do it. Our hope is not inhuman. It's not in the, in the things of this world. It's not in the hope of just our, our circumstances will change. Yes, Abraham had a child, but he didn't see a nation, yet he still had hope. In fact, it says that he had so much faith and hope in God that he was willing to sacrifice his son because he believed if God had to raise him back up from the dead to complete his promise, that's what he would do. It says that in Hebrews. It says that Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son because he trusted that God would have to resurrect him just to fulfill his promise because he knew that's how good God was. So first, our hope is found in heaven. It's formed here on earth. It's not about, does my circumstance change? Our question should be, God, am I changing? Am I transforming? Am I growing? Am I loving more? Am I caring more? Am I, am, I, am I reaching out more? Am I not making it about myself anymore? Am I, am I looking in the body of Christ and bringing people in and say, hey, how, how can I pour into you? And how can I love on you? It's impossible to have hope in God and still be selfish. Because you realize this, nothing on this earth am I tied to anymore. I'm only tied to heaven, so what can I give while I'm here? What can I give? You will be more generous, you'll be more loving, you'll be more caring when you understand that the greatest promises that God has for you are not on this earth, but they're in the next. Amen? All right. Number three, hope is anchored in the presence. This is where I finish. This is as fast as I could go, guys. Gave it my best. Done it in 15 minutes so far. Hope is anchored in the presence. It says this, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor to our soul, a hope that enters into the holy place and the inner place behind the curtain. The author of Hebrews is writing to people that are drifting away. I went deep sea fishing uh, the other week, so I know everything about fishing now um, and boats and nautical stuff. Um, But what I do understand is this, when you put the anchor down, there's a little give where you can drift a little bit, right? but you're always gonna stay where the anchor tells you to stay. You're never gonna go too far. So the, the author of Hebrews is writing to people that are drifting in their faith because they're being persecuted on both sides. So on one side is in the Roman empire that's, executing them, imprisoning them for being Christians. And on the other side is their Jewish family that has now excommunicated them and saying, you're no longer a part of our family. And they're feeling pressure on both sides and they want to give up. So Paul is, or, well, I think it's Paul, but other people say, like the author of Hebrews is saying this, he's an anchor to your soul. He's talking about Jesus, the forerunner. See, the, the holy of holies it says he has gone before you. He has created a pathway. Follow the forerunner into the presence of God. That is what your that that's the anchor to your soul. It's so weighty, it's so heavy that it keeps you grounded. What's so weighty? What's so heavy who Jesus is? Can we consider this for a moment? Jesus is the son of God who was in heaven on a throne, and he descended to earth, took on human form, lived a life for 33 years. He lived a perfect, sinless, obedient life, and then he went to the cross. He was beaten with a whip. He was a crown of thorns on his head. He bled in the garden just worrying about the pain that he would take. On that cross, he didn't just take your sin or my sin or just people here, but all humanity, past, present, and future, all the sin, shame, hurt, pain descended upon him in one moment where he took at all he was perfect he was good he was God and he did that so we could have a relationship with him and guess what he did that for those who may not even accept him he did it so they could have some period of time while they were here on this earth to respond to him and even if they did it he still died that's good even if people reject him which people will he says, I will spare you from the wrath of God for just as long as you're on this earth to give you some chance that you can accept this hope. So if you struggle to get in the presence of God, I wanna encourage you today, consider who Jesus is. Consider what he did for you. Jesus was a historical figure. People believe he was a good man, a good teacher, or a prophet, but that's not who he claimed to be. He claimed to be God. He says, I'm the son of the living God. So either he was who he says he was or he was crazy. So when we consider who Jesus is, that weight should draw us straight into the presence of God. Because it's realizing this I didn't deserve what he did for me. Doesn't matter how good you are, doesn't matter how much church you've been to, doesn't matter how many uh, you know, daily Bible verses you read on your Bible. Guess what? We still do not deserve what Jesus gave. We don't. So it's saying that the very weight of who Jesus is draws us into the presence of God. The keys can come on up. I'm finishing up. We need to follow the forerunner into the presence of God. Jesus bridged a gap so that we could be in the presence of God. Hope is renewed all the time. Hope is renewed all the time. I've been praying and I really felt that we have lost hope, some of us. Maybe it's because we are hoping in temporal things to change rather than God to change us. Maybe it's because we we are hoping for things here and, and where we want these circumstances to change or maybe we just haven't contemplated in a while what Jesus has done for us. But hope is a greatest thing that, one of the greatest things that God has given us here on earth that while we wait for these promises to be fulfilled, we don't have to be afraid, we don't have to be anxious, we don't have to be worried, why? Because God has said, I have already done it. Our hope is in who Jesus is and what Jesus did. Jesus died for you and for me. You can stand to your feet, this is where I finish. Jesus died for you and for me. He took our sins on the cross so we didn't have to bear it anymore. He made us when we were dead and now we came and we were alive, amen? The very weight of who Jesus is will draw you into, your, into the presence of God. Hope is not about you, it's about Him. Hope is not in anything but Jesus, the anchor, the forerunner of our soul. Today I wanna read something out of Lamentations chapter 3. Because as I was praying today, I felt like some people were losing hope. The prophet Jeremiah wrote this. It's one of my favorite verses. It says this in verse 16. He has made my teeth grind on gravel. He has made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft or lost of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say my endurance has perished and so has my hope. You know, that gives me, some confidence sometimes that if a prophet of God who's got a book in the Bible, two books in the Bible can feel like that, that sometimes I can as well. Sometimes that's how we feel. Life's beaten you down. You don't have peace anymore. Forgot what it means to be happy. You've lost all hope and endurance, but he doesn't stay there. Verse 21, but I call this to mind, therefore I do have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in Him. Sometimes you gotta tell yourself what to say. Your heart doesn't believe it, and it says, but this I call to mind. Can we close our eyes and lift our hands just for a moment? Holy Spirit, I thank you Great is your faithfulness, oh God. Great is your faithfulness, oh God. Morning by morning, your mercies are new every day. Holy Spirit, I pray for every person in this room right now that if they've never met you and understand who you are today, you remind them that you are a God who came and took on human form and died for them while yet they were still sinners. So even if they were sinning last night, guess what, you died for them last night too. And God, I pray right now that the very love and grace of Jesus Christ fill the hearts and the minds of every person in this place. And we consider that we are not the solution, but you are the solution to our problem. So God, we give it to you, though we don't see all the answered prayers that we hope to see. God, what we do see is this, a God who is willing to die for us, and he has given us a promise of an eternal home, where sin will be no more, shame will be no more, pain will be no more, sickness will be gone, and it will be a place where we will have relationship with God and others, and we will have reward, and we will have uh, things that, God, you have trusted us with in heaven we have responsibilities and we're going to be with you forever. So God, forgive us for making hope about something that's temporal thing on earth. God, I I pray that you forgive us that we have tried to pray for things to change and not ask you for, for you to change us. God, forgive us if we have put our hope in anything other than you, oh Jesus. Because God, that's it. Yes, pain exists. Yes, hurt exists, but God says, I can transcend the things that are transient. Your pain will not last forever. Your hurt will not last forever, but Jesus says, I will last forever. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. To watch our latest message, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. To stay connected, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Free Chapel OC.